0: You are listening to the Women of Wonder podcast, where we want to see Sister soar. We hope that you are inspired by this message. Thank you, first of all, to all my sisters at WOW um, and uh, for inviting me tonight. And it's always a blessing and a pleasure um, to, to speak to the WOW network out there, uh, ever growing, ever expanding. Um, it's, it's really a pleasure, and I look forward to God leading me in sharing this message with you and also hearing your feedback afterwards, and we'll have some time for discussion and questions, and hopefully we'll have some, some good interaction afterwards. The topic, as you all know, is how to love the stranger even in times of danger, and um, the message will be based on the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's from the book of Luke in the Bible chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. So let me start, first of all, telling you about a conversation that I recently found myself in the middle of, okay? It was a conversation between two Chinese women, both of whom I know. And one was from Hong Kong and the other was from Taiwan originally. They both live here now. And they were having a discussion because the the woman from Taiwan speaks Mandarin and English, but she was curious about a Cantonese expression that is used by people from Hong Kong. And it's an expression that many people from Hong Kong use to describe white people. Okay. So some of you are familiar with this Cantonese term. So if you're speaking Cantonese, it's guai lo. Mandarin is kind of a little different, guai lao. Okay. Winnie can correct me later on this, but what does this mean, guai lo? The term guai lo literally translates to ghost man okay, or ghost people. It's been used by Cantonese speakers for centuries, really, to describe white people. And it's, it's even expanded now beyond just white people. It could be non-Chinese or non-Asian, but originally it was a description of white people. And the explanation, at least that I've heard over the years, is that when these pale white Europeans, when these foreigners first appeared in Asia, the locals who had never seen such creatures before referred to them as ghost people. Okay. And some historical accounts even suggest that many of the local people literally thought that they were ghosts or demons of some type. And so we were having a conversation about this. And the conversation turned to the fact that there are at least two views among Cantonese-speaking people about this term Gwailo. Okay, So one view holds that Guailo is kind of an outdated term. It can be considered offensive, and it really should no longer be used. Okay, But others who are also Cantonese-speaking people say that now it's just it's just a common slang expression and it's really not intended to be offensive and nobody should really take offense from hearing it okay as a guailo myself who spends a lot of time among cantonese speaking people both in business as well as in my family i can tell you that i've heard this debate for many many years and there's really no conclusion to it okay in my experience the controversy has never been settled one way or the other. I talk to people who say it's outdated, it's offensive, you shouldn't use it. And I talk to other people who say, no, it's just a slang expression and it's, it's harmless. So I don't know, and it's not for me to decide. The debate goes on and on. But it did occur to me as I was listening to these two people talk about this, how common it is in our society for one group of people, to have an offensive name for another group, okay? Almost every race and ethnic group in America has some offensive or negative term applied to it by another group. And every group has an offensive term for another group, okay? Obviously, you know, we could all think of, of words like this. I'm not going to, I don't have a screen. I'm not going to put it up on the on the screen a whole list, but I think, you know, especially if you live in New York long enough with all the different groups and ethnicities, you've heard some of it, it's not pleasant, it's it's harsh, it's ugly, but whether you're Jewish or Chinese or Italian or Japanese or Hispanic or African-American, Native American or almost any other group, okay, we know that there's a derogatory term for you and me, okay? Some term that's been invented to be used against one group by another group, right? And I I suspect, unfortunately, that we've all heard some of these words at one time or another. And how ironic it is that in a nation that's built by people of every race and ethnicity, where we have a statue that stands in the harbor, right, here in New York, to welcome immigrants and refugees from all over the world, that our vocabulary is still polluted in this way, that our vocabulary still has such ugly terms, terms that are offensive, terms that are harsh, terms that are, are used as weapons in many cases against other people. Sometimes it seems that America is a place where people gather together from all corners of the world, and then start cursing at each other. Now, the Bible has something to say about it. The Bible says in James chapter 3, verses 9 to 10, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's interesting that James says, it's not just secular people who curse other people. It's not just the bigots or the vulgar people, you know, the so-called bad people, but also the ones who see themselves as righteous and faithful, the ones who praise the Lord, right? With, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings. So James is saying, we all have some work to do in this area. Leaders in government, in sports, in entertainment, the corporate world, have not been above using such derogatory terms. And it's not simply just a matter of name calling, because tragically, many times these words lead to hurtful and destructive consequences according to the not-for-profit organization Stop AAPI Hate. Many of you may have heard about that organization. They've compiled statistics about hate crimes. Based on their reporting, over 48% of the hate crimes against Asian Americans during 2020 to 2021 included at least one hateful statement, usually regarding anti-China or anti-immigrant rhetoric. They came out with a report, Stop AAPI Hate, came out with a report at the end of last year that states that from March of 2020 to December of 2021, there were 10,905 reports of hate incidents reported to that organization. These are hate incidents against Asian American and Pacific Islanders specifically. 63% of those involved verbal harassment. 16% also involved physical assault. According to FBI statistics, from 2019 to 2020, hate crimes against African Americans rose from 1,972 to 2,871. In January 2021, there were 2 million gun purchases, an 80% increase in gun purchases. And at the same time, statistics show that charitable donations are decreasing across the nation. In 2000, 66% of households in America reported making charitable donations. 18 years later, in 2018, only 49% of American households reported making charitable donations. There's a columnist uh, who writes for the New York Times named David Brooks. And he wrote a column this, just this past January. He said, America is coming apart at the seams. There is a long-term loss of solidarity, a long-term rise in estrangement and hostility. In other words, we're becoming a nation or a society of strangers, less compassionate, less charitable, less trusting, more hateful. So what's going on? Why is this happening? And what can we do about it? How can we as a society learn to be more loving towards each other and less hateful, especially towards those who are different or who appear different or who appear foreign to us? How can we learn to love the stranger even in times of danger? Now, I have a question for you. If God Himself could come into the world and tell us what He thinks about how we should be treating each other, especially how we should be treating the stranger, the foreigner, people we're afraid of, even people we don't like, what would He say? Well, of course, the answer is He already did. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. And His message can be found in the parable of the Good Samaritan. From the book of Luke, chapter 10. Verses 25 to 37. So let's take a look at that and see what Jesus can teach us about all of this. So I'm just going to read it. and You can read along with me. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay, let me just stop right there and put sort of a highlight or an underline under expert in the law. We'll come back to that because that's important. So an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and this is where he tells the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So when we reflect on this passage in the Bible and this parable, parable that Jesus told, we can see that there are three components to Jesus' message, three things that we could learn and take away from this parable. The first is the command to love the stranger. The second is the risk of loving the stranger. And the third is the way to love the stranger. And we're going to talk about each one of those separately. The command, the risk, and the way. Let's start with the command to love the stranger. The first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is having a conversation with an expert in the law right? Here, the law is referring to the scriptures, the law of God, okay? The expert was a Jewish scholar, and he knew the Torah, okay? What is the Torah? The law of Moses, the Mosaic law, the basically the first five books of the Old Testament, okay? When it came to knowing the law, this guy knew his stuff, okay? He was an expert, And the Bible says he wanted to test Jesus. Now, we don't know if he was just kind of sizing him up to see how good of a rabbi Jesus was, how, you know, how much he really knew his stuff. uh, Or if he wanted to trap Jesus, okay, into making some kind of biblical error or to say something that would be controversial. And I suspect it was the latter, okay, something that would get people riled up. And you'll see why in a minute. But the expert asks Jesus, what must one do to receive eternal life? He's asking about salvation, right? And Jesus immediately turns the question around on him and asks him, well, what does the law say? You know the law, you know your stuff. Come on, what does the law say? You're the expert. How do you read it, Jesus says. So the expert was probably very proud to have a chance to show off his stuff and answer the question and demonstrate his, his knowledge of the scripture. So he answers, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. And he says, in other words, be fully devoted to the Lord. Love him with everything you have. And not only that, he goes on, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, Treat your neighbor the same way that you would want to be treated and with the same amount of love that you would want others to treat you. So we've all heard that before. That's the golden rule, right? And Jesus says, you're right. Do this and you will live. Okay. But you could see that the expert was not satisfied with that. After all, he really just answered his own question. So he comes back at Jesus with a second question. Who is my neighbor? And now the conversation goes to another level. Because the, base, the expert is basically asking, by neighbor, do you mean my fellow Jews? Do you mean I need to love my own people, my family, my friends, my community, the people I go to the synagogue with? Is that who you're talking about when you say, love your neighbor? Or are you saying something else, Rabbi Jesus? Are you saying I need to love outside of my own people, outside of my tribe, so to speak? Can you, Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, possibly be saying that I need to love Gentiles? Whoa, the dreaded Gentiles the expert in the law may have felt that if Jesus says that the only way to salvation is not only to love God, but to love Gentiles, then the people would probably never accept that teaching. This would be way too far, too radical for anyone in this audience to accept. But Jesus actually doubles down on it, if you notice, because The good guy in the parable, the hero of the parable, is not the priest or the Levite, the Jewish leaders, the religious, the righteous people. No, they crossed the street, right? They kept walking. The good guy in the story is the Samaritan. And Samaritans were despised by the Jews. The Samaritans were a people of mixed blood, Their ancestors were Jews who intermarried with Gentiles. They worshiped the same God, but in different ways. They had different rituals. They had different places where they thought were sacred and where they worshiped. And the Jews and Samaritans fought violently with each other and against each other. Even though they had a common ancestry and worshiped the same God, Jews and Samaritans were sworn enemies. And they saw each other as not only strangers, but foreigners. And I would go even further, not only strangers and foreigners, but enemies. And it was the Samaritan who is the role model in this parable. Jesus tells the expert in the law, if you want to see what a real neighbor looks like, look at the Samaritan. Now go and do likewise. Must have been mind-blowing, right? To the so-called expert in the law, okay? But why? Why would Jesus give this teaching? Why would he make this the, the hated Samaritan be the hero of the story? Such a radical teaching, such a radical message that, was sure to provoke anger, even resentment, why choose a Samaritan of all people to be the hero of the story? Especially talking to a Jewish scholar. It would seem crazy. If if you or I were in this conversation with a Jewish scholar, it wouldn't be our first choice to make the hero of the story be a Samaritan. There's no way that the expert as a Jewish scholar should ever accept such a story, much less accept the command to follow the example of the Samaritan. And yet he does. He gets it. If you go back, look at verse 37, right? Jesus asked, "Who is the neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So the expert in the law had to admit that it was the stranger, it was the foreigner, the one that he despised, who was actually the true neighbor in the story. So why did the scholar accept this teaching? Why not be outraged? Why not walk away? Why not say, this is, this is horrible, this is terrible, this can't be correct? You know, Why not accuse Jesus of blasphemy? Why not say, I'll never see the Samaritans as the good neighbors. I'll certainly never see the Samaritans as a role model. He didn't do that. You see, Jesus knew that anyone who is an expert in the law, anyone who knows God's law, would know that loving your neighbor must mean caring for the stranger and having compassion towards the foreigner. They must know that. Let me repeat that, okay? Sometimes it's easy to gloss over that. Jesus knew that anyone who knows God's law would know that loving your neighbor must mean caring for the stranger and having compassion on the foreigner. Why? Because the command to show compassion to the stranger and the foreigner, and the alien is mentioned at least 36 times in the Torah. The command to care for the stranger is mentioned more times than any other command in the Torah. Let me give you a couple of examples, just two. Leviticus 1934, the foreigner stranger, I'm going to say foreigner and stranger because in the Hebrew, they're interchangeable. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So there's that word must, right? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 18 to 19. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So Jesus knew that even if he used the most hated, despised foreigner, as the hero in his story, the expert in the law would have to accept it because this is the command of God. You don't accept it. You're not, you don't know the commands of God. You don't know the law. You don't know what God wants if you're not accepting this message. And so he knew that this expert in the law would have to accept this message. And so Jesus is saying to this expert in the law, and really to all of us, you can have your boundaries and your tribes, your friends and your enemies. But if you love the Lord, you must love your neighbor. And everyone is your neighbor. Everyone. And as James said, You can't praise God and curse people. So God commands us to love the stranger. But okay, now someone says yes, but there are risks. It's a dangerous world out there. We know this, right? After all, if the priest and the Levite had stopped to help the victim on the road, maybe they would be attacked by robbers as well. Maybe, you know, maybe the whole thing was really just a trap. Maybe the guy wasn't really injured, but if they went over to help him, they'd all be jumped. So how how do you resolve that? It's a dangerous world. You see a man on the street, he's been beaten and stripped and he's left half dead. What goes through your mind? How do, how, do you, how do you think about loving your neighbor in a situation like that? So we have to talk about the next point, which is the risks of loving the stranger. Dr. Martin Luther King preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan, actually, as his final sermon, one day before he was assassinated in April, 1968. He preached about the dangers of doing God's work. He talked about the time he was actually stabbed. A lot of people don't know this or remember this, but he was actually stabbed while at a book signing event a few years earlier. And the blade of the knife had just missed his heart by a fraction of an inch. He knew the dangers of working for the Lord. He knew the dangers of working for the poor and the oppressed of society. He faced death threats every single day. He saw other civil rights leaders, such as Medgar Evers, for example, had already been assassinated by that point. He certainly wasn't naive about what doing God's work means and what the risks were and are. King knew that when he asked people to march in the streets to desegregate schools or private businesses, he was asking them to risk brutal beatings, attacks by police dogs, the humiliation of being knocked down by water hoses, and getting thrown in jail. He understood the risks of helping the stranger and the foreigner in society, the oppressed and the marginalized, the minority, the one who faced the curses and the indignities from those of privilege and power. And yet in his final sermon, King said this, let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness King explained that in his imagination of the Good Samaritan parable, there was a key difference between the priest and the Levite on one side of the road and the Good Samaritan on the other side of the road. He focused in on a key difference. As they passed the man lying in the road, bleeding left for, left, for dead, right? The priest and the Levite may have asked themselves, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan asked himself, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Now, I don't wanna make this too simplistic or naive okay? We know, we all of us know from recent history that extending a hand to a stranger can lead to horrible consequences. That's just a reality of our time. In June 2015, at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, Dylan Roof, a white supremacist was welcomed into a church Bible study. He took out a gun and killed nine African-American members of the church, including the senior pastor. Even more recently, in January of this year, at Beth Israel Synagogue in Texas, a man knocked on the glass door of the synagogue and was welcomed inside by the rabbi, who even made him a cup of tea. Moments later, the man took out a gun. What followed was a 10 hour long hostage crisis, which finally ended when the hostages escaped and the gunman was killed. Rabbi Charlie Crichton Walker was the rabbi who let that man in to the synagogue, simply offering tea and comfort to a man he said looked like he needed shelter. Yet despite this traumatic experience, and the events at Mother Emmanuel and other churches and other synagogues and mosques and temples, Rabbi Walker continues to preach the importance of loving your neighbor. Still, he says, I remain committed to the idea of welcoming and caring for the stranger and living that value. We do what is right, not what is easy. Now these are dramatic and frightening stories. Not all of us, fortunately, we hope, not all of us will be placed in such extreme circumstances. But the point is that we won't know until it happens. The good samaritan was just walking along the road when suddenly he had a moral decision to make. Perhaps you or I will be traveling along the road, the road of life, minding our business, thinking about our own stuff, when suddenly injustice will be set before your eyes. Could be any number of things, a homeless person shivering on a cold street who needs food and shelter, a refugee from another country who needs safe harbor from a land of war and persecution, a sick, disabled or elderly person who is homebound and needs someone to help pick up groceries at the local store. An immigrant child who needs help learning English, something that could be life altering for that child. Perhaps it means going to another city or even another country to live for a time with people of another culture in conditions that are not exactly in your comfort zone, where there's poverty, hunger and struggle. Perhaps you know of a church or a community organization like the Beacon organization that needs volunteers to serve the poor. Maybe you live in a society or a city that needs good moral leaders to run for office and pass laws and policies for a more just society. Any of these actions will put you in contact with people in need who may be different from you or I. Different race, different language, different religion different social status. And there will be risks in stopping your normal routine to help them out. There were good Samaritans in the Brooklyn subway station today. People who stayed behind to help those who were injured and afraid. Even at their own risk. If any of us have seen the, the videos that came out, and that they were showing on the news. It was a chaotic situation. And I don't blame for a minute the people who were just running for the exits. I might've done that myself. I can't say, I don't know. But there were those who stayed behind to help and care for the people who were injured. They loved the stranger, even in a time of danger. So we need to ask ourselves, how can I be a good Samaritan? How will I be a good neighbor to the stranger or the foreigner? Because the reality is we already know that the need exists. We know that the people that are on this list that you see on the screen, they exist. They're in our midst. And we know that we can be of assistance if only we choose to see them as our neighbors. So how do we begin? What's the first step? How do we even get motivated or inspired to do this? How can we have the courage to do the work that the Lord who we praise commands us to do? So that brings me to the final point, the way to love the stranger. And it's really a mindset, okay? I'll tell you what I mean. When we hear the command to love our neighbor, we need to remember that this means reaching out to the stranger, the foreigner, the alien. It means reaching out to the one who is different. It means reaching across boundaries of race, ethnicity, class, and even, I dare say, reaching across political lines. To some of us, the political boundary these days is probably the toughest one. So that's where all the fighting is, right? People are afraid to even talk about political differences. Now someone may be thinking, how do I do it? Where do I get the strength? Where do I get the courage? So the reason why I say it's a mindset It's really because it's a question of focus. What are we thinking about when we're trying to answer that question? And I would suggest that it starts at the cross. Someone died for us there. Someone who prayed for another way, but went anyway. Despite the danger, despite the fear, despite the agonizing pain, Someone sacrificed for you and for me. At the cross, Jesus did not look at our race, our ethnicity, our class, certainly not our political views. Jesus didn't say that only people who look a certain way or live a certain way or speak a certain way receive his favor. He died for all of us. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. When we find ourselves struggling in a time of crisis, when we feel like we've been left at the side of the road to die, and we've all been there, Jesus Christ is our good Samaritan. In fact, Jesus Christ is the ultimate good Samaritan. So knowing that, how should we respond? If Jesus died for us, how should we live for him? Jesus says, look at the good Samaritan, then go and do likewise. The final question for us is, do we listen? Do we obey? We hope that you enjoyed this teaching. We are a community that walks alongside women to uncover and affirm their calling through prayer, teaching, and celebration. Visit womenofwonder.us to learn more.